Hello, everyone, and welcome to VR Download. I'm Ian Hamilton, hosting today from the United States and joined by my colleague, David Heaney, over there in Ireland. Each week on Tuesday, around 10 a.m. Pacific, Heaney and I have been working together for years at this point, but we only actually met in the real world last week for the first time, and I'm excited to talk about what I learned and get into the news this week. Heaney, what do we have coming up today? So yeah, this week we're in workrooms because unfortunately Meta disabled access to Meta avatars on our app for what they do each year with apps. They do like a privacy check where they verify that you're complying with all their data policies. And the problem is that our app is only designed to work for our staff. The only people that have access to our Windows app is, you know, the three of us that stream this uh, for interviews or for this show. And so their tester got on and they were given an error that, you know, they're not a staff member and therefore... They declined us being able to use it. They don't have an exception for apps that are only being used internally. They treat every app as if it's a public store app. So that's kind of a a problem with that system there. So what we have to do now is just add an ability for their testers to access our system. And then from there, we can get access back. But Workroom seems to work okay for now. So today we're going to talk about a few topics. Hence, that Quest will soon add in-headset recording options, including 16:9 aspect ratio and refresh rate selection. Quest V43 transitioning officially, finally, from Facebook to Meta accounts. Lenovo teasing a headset under their Legion gaming brand. And finally, a Chinese analyst's claim that Pico 4 will launch in September with an aggressive subsidy strategy, that's a direct quote, to take on Quest 2. So let's get straight into it, Ian. Yeah, so that's that first update right there with the recording options. Casting up here onto the screen uh, with our makeshift uh, casting functionality. It took a few minutes to get set up, and I appreciated Andrew's comment there saying that he uh, he understood your concern with me calling it a bug. Uh, yeah, I'm, I apologize to Heaney. Uh, it wasn't a bug that, uh, you know, caused us not to be in the studio this week, I guess. Heaney... I learned a lot about you last week before we get into this news. I want to tell everyone one thing that I learned about Heaney, uh, because everyone is curious. He is a very fast walker. I had to chase him around the city of Vancouver, basically running as fast as I could, which is apparently just his normal pace of walking. Uh, I will, I'm going to tease out a different fact about you every week, and that's, that's the first fact. Um, I think we're going to get into Seagraph really in depth next week, right, Heaney? We really need to digest uh, still a lot of what we learned last week, right? Yep. Yeah, uh, later in the week, you should expect articles from us about what we saw, including our impressions of Starburst and an interview with Douglas Landman, Meta's head of display systems research. One thing I learned about Ian, which isn't really a surprise because I expected this, is that he spends a lot of time on Twitter, a significant amount of his life scrolling Twitter. <laughs> I will say we were in line for a we were in line for a headset, and someone came over to demo an AR uh, an AR demo to me, and he's like, "What's going on?" And I'm like, "Well, I just I just chatted with these people on Twitter, and they're they're going to come by our our spot in line and show us an AR demo." And uh, I, I don't think I don't think you were ready for me to use Twitter quite that way. So I will defend my use of Twitter uh, <laughs> in in live social spaces for for seeing cool VR demos. All right, so V43, Heaney, what do we have in V43 of Quest coming up? So this was in the public test channel of V43. 
Uh, today, the actual release notes for V43 were released, and this was not included in them. We should point that out. But what it seems to show is in-headset options for uh, changing the aspect ratio of recording, for selecting a different frame rate, for adding image stabilization, and for uh, changing the bit rate, the compression quality of recording in Quest. This is something that Meta recently added to the Oculus Developer Hub, which is a tool on PC and Mac, so you could connect your Quest and change it. This is something that has always been possible through command line commands when you have your uh, Quest connected to your PC and something that SideQuest had automated so you could very easily select these things. What we're seeing now is Meta add these options into the, the Oculus software itself. The one thing I would note is I always note when we're talking about recording is that when you change that to a widescreen aspect ratio, you're not expanding the recording. You're just cropping it losslessly because each Ion Quest is a square aspect ratio, roughly. So when you, if you want to record widescreen, you would have to either have the system render a much wider field of view, which would incur a significant performance penalty, or you can just have it crop. And that's what's done. So to get real widescreen recording, we're going to need to wait for headsets that have, you know, a very wide field of view, headsets in the future. But for now, if you really want that wide, you can use this option. Personally, I prefer the square because in apps like Warplanes, you can actually see the cockpit given that full vertical uh, field of view in the recording. In apps like Gorn, you can actually see the bottom of your weapon and the top of the enemy's head because it's not cropped out. But I understand that a lot of people want to record their VR footage to be watched on laptops and PC screens and TVs. And so they want to use this widescreen. So there you go. That's That feature is now available. Yeah, as Heaney pointed out, I've been using the Oculus Developer Hub version of the recording features. And if you go back and look at our uh, last few videos on the Upload VR channel, if you go look at the Labyrinth video uh, that I did recording inside uh, the Labyrinth course, I basically got a tour of the Labyrinth course, that was using the Oculus Developer Hub recording tools, and it be it beautifully recorded, uh, pretty much beautifully. There were a few parts where movement, uh, you could see some performance situations with uh, the other person moving. But other than that, I had a 1080p 60 frames per second recording uh, with nice widescreen cropping. But Heaney, you were the one that pointed out to me that it kind of like shows me an outline. I can see the frame edges at the very edge of my field of view using that Oculus Developer Hub recording feature. And it was really nice to be able to frame uh, the virtual camera that way. And I'm hoping those features actually make it into the, the V43 release. But uh, that's not the only thing that Meta kind of is, is planning to have in store for V43 of Quest. What's the other thing in there, Heaney? So yeah, last month, Meta announced that they were following through on their promise from Connect 2021 to remove the requirement to use a Facebook account to set up and use Quest 2. So, you know, Quest 2 famously introduced this requirement. Meta talked about how this was going to be their future of their VR devices, how by 2023, even if you had an old device or you still had an Oculus account, this would no longer be supported at all. And yet, at Connect 2021, they completely 180'd on that and said, we're, we're removing the Facebook requirement. They said last month it was coming in August, and this is it arriving. So 
like always, Quest updates roll out. So over a week or two, you will randomly get it. It's not like everyone gets it on the same day. But once you do, you should get the ability to unlink your Facebook account and replace that with a meta account. And we discussed this on previous episodes of the show in terms of what the implications of this are. Uh, if you're wondering, you know, what really is the difference between a Facebook account and a meta account? Well, a Facebook account is a you know, semi-public social media profile that if you're banned from it, you would then no longer have access to your VR device. Whereas a meta account is just a traditional account system. You know, you have your your username, your password, your name, your date of birth, the standard account system that you would use for any online service. And it's not inherently linked to social media. You still can optionally link your Facebook account so that you have Facebook Messenger inside Quest but it is no longer a requirement. And you can set up a Quest 2 after this V43 has rolled out and is presumably on the newer shipping Quest headsets without having to have a Facebook account at all. Yeah, I'm seeing some good comments and questions. Uh, one from Bicycle asking us if we have any big predictions for the next Connect event besides Cambria or Quest Pro announcement, of course. Yeah, what do you think of that, Heaney, at this point? We've still got some time to go before we um, before we actually get to probably those announcements, right? What, what do you think we're going to see? So I, I don't think it'll be just an announcement. I think they will open orders or if or pre-orders for, for Cambria. Uh, Cambria was announced last year. Uh, I think this is where we see it actually get shipped. And, you know, this is what they've been so focused on. As for what else we'll see, it's really hard to know. I'd like to see some updates on the Assassin's Creed game from Ubisoft. I'd like to hear about the Grand Theft Auto game and the progress of that and get maybe some sort of timeline. I guess we'll talk about this at the end, but if Pico 4 is really is going to launch in September, like it's being rumored and it comes at a competitive price, I expect we'll see some kind of meta response to that. But what that is, I, I don't know what that actually would be. Yeah, it's interesting. There's sort of a beat growing to Meta's. Uh, there's there's going to be a rhythm to their things as they announce towards the end of the year. They had uh, the Quest Day last year. I would have every expectation that they're going to continue with the Quest Day this year. But there's of course Black Friday, the, the the Friday after Thanksgiving, which is generally considered the biggest shopping day of the year. And every year in the past, they've had special sales uh, to announce for software as well as limited time deals often with other retailers with lowered price. But of course, they're, they've just changed the price from 300 to 400. So it'll be really interesting to see what they do. The, the one other thing I think we're going to see at Connect is Horizon Worlds get formally announced or even maybe released for smartphones and the web. And you know they talked about that being something they want to do this year that would significantly change the proposition of Horizon Worlds. If this is something that you can jump into VR and your friend can be on their PC or their phone and, and also join the world you've just made, that really changes what Horizon Worlds is. And I think that's probably what they'll be pushing at Connect. I'm seeing a couple of people. I think we've got some new viewers in there along with some some longtime viewers, right? We're on opposite sides this week just because of the way it laid out. So some people uh, who are familiar with us are a little bit jarred by that and the funny thing Heaney is we almost we were this close to actually broadcasting an episode in real life from Seagraph last week uh, on Thursday but we couldn't make it work out with our scheduling but it would have been really cool to see Heaney and I uh, gathered together 
in the same room, sort of in this same uh, layout right across from each other. And we could have talked about some of the things we saw from Seagraph, but, uh, you know, Heaney, we, we did sit down. I'm just going to tease more here. We did sit down with Douglas Landman, who is the head of display systems over there at Meta. He is uh, basically in charge of all their research into the next generation of VR displays. So we we hit him with as many questions as we possibly could. We're going to dive into that video and get into it. And we also saw demos of codec avatars. And the reason I wanted to bring that up right now is we've got those we've got new viewers that are looking at us going these these avatars don't look any better than Second Life, and you know Heaney. W w that's true, right? Like the, in, in some cases, right? Or some ways, even though like you've done an amazing job syncing up the audio. We've talked about this in the past. Eventually, these avatars are going to get driven by real facial expressions that we make underneath the headsets. And we saw the beginning of that with the codec avatars. And we're going to see the next steps of that with Quest Pro very soon. So if you tune into the show, watch us week to week. There's going to be a very long path ahead where this is going to get more and more realistic over time, right, Heaney? Yeah, I'd, I'd say I agree with you if you're saying these avatars don't look any better than Second Life, and arguably they look worse, but I think they move significantly better than Second Life. And as I always say when we're talking about avatars, are when you're looking at another person in real life, the way that you interpret them as a person is just as much about how they move as about how they look. That's why a mannequin, even a completely photorealistic mannequin, doesn't feel real and in fact feels slightly creepy. And even when you see one that is a robot that's entirely photorealistic to look like a person but doesn't move like one, it doesn't look right. And yet, if you see someone in a costume that makes them look completely non-human, you can still recognize that it's your friend by the way they move and you still feel in your subconscious, that is another person in the corner of the room. It's not an inanimate object. And that's all about how you move. So this is something I think is very rarely talked about in public discussions of VR avatars, and yet really should be, because it's it's just vital to understand that key importance. And as Ian said, once these avatars and future avatars start to be driven by real eye tracking and face tracking and body tracking, we're, it's going to feel even more like people. Hi there, sadly, it's Bradley in our comments, by the way. This isn't a new stage. We're just using Horizon Workrooms because Meta revoked our access to avatars for our app. <laughs> laughing at you uh calling me out and describing your crashes wrong and these are the second life avatar avatars that i found on wikipedia and yeah you can obviously see the range of expression that you've got in places like vr chat and then vr chat has this amazing ability to uh to let people embody those avatars with full body tracking if you if you go and add the trackers from vive uh and and really work to to get the full body tracking in there, but uh, you're committing yeah, the cardinal sorry. sin. Ahead, you're showing you're showing avatars in a picture. That show now I show the CM scene, but with them moving, and you'll see what I mean. Yeah, I mean this this animation is. I, I get a real like one thing that that struck me. I'll, I'll give another thing about Heaney. Heaney is slightly taller than me, as I discovered meeting you face to face. You're just that much bigger. And being able to like see your body language move, know that you're there, it's it is incredible what I can do here and and the sense of presence here. And even in workrooms in particular, they've got uh incredible audio in here, Heaney. Uh what would it take for you to get this kind of audio over in in our studio? I mean I, I disagree i think our studio is just as good as the audio here if not better to be honest your your sounds a little bit sort of what's the word not crackly but it doesn't sound quite crisp i, I think the, I, this is designed uh, to support a lot of people 
I I I don't have my headphones in this week. I I lost them in it Vancouver. I mean, it's still going to use the same microphone. I don't know. I, th- I mean, I, I think the audio in here is great, but I don't think it's any better or worse. I mean, our audience can tell us. What do you think? Do we sound better or worse than usual? You ready to talk about Lenovo? Yeah, yeah. And we can move on to Lenovo. So, Hini, Lenovo seems to be teasing a new headset. What do we know about Lenovo in the past, and what are they likely to show off next? Yeah, so obviously Lenovo has been around in VR for a long time. As one of our commenters pointed out, it's funny that a lot of the news articles reporting on this said Lenovo is teasing its first ever VR headset, which is hilarious because as we all know, in 2017, Lenovo was one of the key partners of Microsoft for their Windows MR headsets for PC. The Lenovo Explorer was often one of the cheapest and considered one of the best sort of buying for your buck headsets. And you could get it for, you know, I think $350 at launch. And then there were seals for $250 and even $200 at times. So that was a, a cheap way to get into PC VR. In 2018, obviously, they partnered with Google for the Mirage Solo, which was the first standalone, as in, you know, self-contained run by a mobile chip, headset in the West that had positional tracking. There were ones in China beforehand, but they brought that to the West. Though obviously, it was completely overshadowed by the $200 Oculus Go, which was rotation only, but just had a much bigger app library and a much bigger kind of marketing push from Facebook at the time. And and after that, Lenovo did continue to build standalone headsets. People don't realize that, but they actually do have a VR classroom line of headsets that they're still being sold to this day. And what they did was they actually took away the positional tracking. They said, you know, this was adding too much cost and people clearly didn't want it and it's not needed for the classroom, but put in a bigger display. So they basically sold a 4K Oculus Go to classrooms, and those are still in use all around the world. In 2019, they obviously manufactured the uh, Oculus Rift S and contributed to the design as well. And yeah, take, so now, take a step back into history. I think Heaney was, we were chatting, we had just started working together uh, right around that time. And you remember how shocked everyone was when we realized it said Lenovo right on the front of that, right on the side of that headset, right? Oh, yeah. It was obviously a huge shock to people to see, you know, we expected this to be an internal design and completely done by Facebook. And what was clear was that Facebook was focused on the Quest and they, you know, they needed to update. We've got a black screen, Heaney. We'll try to get that fixed. He's going to... I assume you guys can hear us uh, if you're telling me the screen is blank. Uh, audio is yeah, fine. Yeah, it should be back. Yeah. It should be back now. So, um, yeah, so that was a huge surprise. But now we have Lenovo teasing in a Chinese poster this new headset, the Legion VR700. Uh, let me just double check that. Yes, the Legion VR700. There was no announcement on any of Lenovo's social media channels in the Western world. There was no kind of English text on this poster, but the Legion brand in front of the headset is written in English and Legion is Lenovo's gaming brand. So presumably this is a consumer focused gaming headset. The question just is, is this going to be solely in the Chinese market or do they have plans to bring it to the West? Presumably this is a standalone headset. There's been no actual official confirmation of that, but there was no wires shown in the drawing uh, in the rendering and i think it's clear that they probably aren't going to go for another pc headset at this point in the market 
Yeah, uh, I think you covered this in your summary, but uh, I'm seeing Desitronic mention it in our comments. And yes, I had the Mirage Solo sent to me by Google back when it came out. So the Lenovo Mirage Solo, it had six off tracking. It had, uh, you could walk around in VR, right? It was, it, it beat Quest to market by a little bit of time, right, Heaney? Uh, and they even had a kit that they were rolling out to developers where you could attach a faceplate to that device and then track two controllers using that faceplate. And, you know, it had the whole package. Google had the whole standalone package to compete with Quest and then basically pulled the rug out from under the program right at, right at the cusp of being able to have a competitor to Quest. And it's one of those things, Heaney, that we still don't know what exactly happened. How was the decision making? Who made that call internally? You know, you know, you've, you know that like we saw a lot of people leave Google, but I still want that memo, the actual memo that said, we're not doing this, you know, Heaney. Uh, but it was yeah. a big moment, right, Heaney? Like, did they get scared by, by, by uh, Meta? So what the reporting from the outlet, the information says is that what happened was that Google had within its AR VR team, the same people who are working on this headset, again, released a whole year before Quest and the controllers, which Ian talked about, which were sent to developers a whole six months before Quest. They were the same people who were working on the mobile augmented reality at Google, the, the entire AR VR team. And when Apple came out with AR kit, Google executives scrambled to release something that was competitive. And then obviously Android came out with its AR core. But in this scramble, Google executives decided to prioritize this very real near-term market, mobile augmented reality, over this, to, in their eyes, abstract long-term potential market, VR headsets. And so they assigned all of their best engineers in this team to come up with an AR core that could compete with Apple's AR kit as quickly as possible and start shipping features to match Apple's uh, Apple's timeline of the features they wanted to add to AR kit. This is what the reporting from the information claims. And then in this scramble, the standalone headset project gets pushed to the side. And because of that, the people who wanted to be there at Google to work on headsets went to work at companies like Meta instead. And in that year, we, uh, you know, Ian and I and, and other journalists watched the, the LinkedIn profiles of all of these members of the Google VR team all switch their company of employment over to Facebook within a matter of six to nine months. You're muted. I saw on Twitter a similar sort of a summary of what Heaney just described happening with what Magically did. So Magically had billions of dollars invested in that company. And then uh, right around uh, COVID hitting, they ran out of the ability to get more money. They just couldn't raise more money. And they had to lay off an extraordinary number of people from that company. But because all of those people had experience building a complete standalone AR platform, they were very valuable and found jobs at a lot of these other companies that are now working on platforms today in VR and AR. So when these things happen, it ends up seeding a lot of talent out to other companies. But still, we're in the middle of this uh, investigation, more or less, into Meta's dominance as a platform. And there is a long history here of 
companies getting chased away by Meta's ability to uh, price, you know, outprice uh, some of the competition. But yeah, I saw one of our commenters saying they don't remember this, but yeah, this was the kit that they started to send out to developers with this little thing that you could strap to the faceplate of the Lenovo Mirage Solo and have two controllers in VR. What do we got next, Tini? Are we ready to move on to the next subject? Yeah, I think we can move on to our final uh, our final subject, the Pico 4 report. Yeah, so a couple weeks back, we found references, or at least protocol found references, uh, to Pico 4 and Pico 4 Pro in FCC filings. And now we've got uh, some more indications that this is going to happen perhaps sooner rather than later. Heaney, what do we have to uh, report on about this? And, you know, is this actually going to happen this year, do you think? So, yeah, this report comes from a Chinese analyst whose name can be translated different ways, but some translated as Black Sheriff 008. But from the, the Chinese speaker I talked to, there's different ways to translate it. They have reported on Pico's plans in the past. And their claim here is that Pico 4, that headset Ian's talking, has talked about leaking, the one that seems to be using pancake lenses to achieve what is essentially a slimmer and lighter Quest 2 design, will ship in September and will be priced with a subsidy so that it is competitive with Quest 2. And so, as everyone has probably is probably aware, Quest 2 is increasing in price this month from $300 to $400 for the base model. So if Pico can come out with a slimmer and lighter Quest 2 for a similar price, be that you know $400 or $500, this will essentially be the first time that Meta has real serious competition. And the other aspect is that the Pico Neo 3 Link was released as a beta program only in Europe, whereas the claim here is that this will be a global launch, including in the United States. And that's something that was backed up by the job listings the protocol found last month, which referenced a you know head of U.S. operations responsible for launching their product in the U.S. So this could really be the first time that there is actual real competition in the standalone VR market. You are muted. Keep forgetting my my mute button right there. Uh, yeah, if you put this in context of history, Heaney, that's what I, I keep wanting to do. There have been, again, previous instances where Meta, Facebook have even been beaten on price in certain instances for certain packages, and then Meta has gone and just undercut the competition. There was the summer of Rift, I remember in particular, where uh, Vive was out there first, the HTC Vive, the original one, was out there with room scale VR, tracked controllers. You put up these base stations in either corner of your room. You can walk around your whole space. And it was, in my, when you look back at history, that was the minimum feature set that everyone really, really, really wanted out of a VR headset. But it took Facebook a good six months to a year to catch up functionally. And even then, it was a lot harder to do. You had to hook up three uh, USB cords to, you know, three USB sensors to get close to the kind of tracking uh, that you would get out of those base stations on opposite sides of the room. You uh, would still have a, quite a lot of situations where you could 
uh, move your hands out of the cones that are coming out of those cameras tracking you. And it was just a nightmare to set up. I always remembered the Star Trek bridge crew demonstration they had where they had the stars of all the different Star Trek games or Star Trek TV shows over the year get together to demonstrate what uh, Star Trek bridge crew looked like on riffs at the time. And they just had dozens of cords snaking around on the floor under them going to all these different PCs to run this, this multiplayer experience. And, you know, fast forward about a year and then you could get that entire package, all the things you needed for touch controllers, for room scale tracking, and you could get it all for a cheaper package than you could get out of a Vive, right, Heaney? Yeah, so I guess there are some comparisons to this situation, but what, what we're seeing here is Pico come along with a product that will likely be similarly priced, you know, not $200 more expensive, and that will likely have a, a significant difference when it comes to the actual headset hardware and that, you know, it's going to, because of those pancake lenses, be slimmer and lighter. And the big question really is, is about content. Pico have been able already to port huge portions of the Quest library over their headset to entice those developers. But if they want to directly compete in the United States at volume, they need to have not just almost all of the non-exclusive titles that are on Quest on their platform, but they also need to have their own exclusives. And that was something that we did see Protocol report that Pico is building their own Pico Studios. So Meta has Resident Evil, Meta has Beat Saber, Meta has Population One, uh, Meta will have Assassin's Creed and Grand Theft Auto. Pico needs to have similar level titles. And that's the real question here. Will ByteDance is reportedly going to give a hardware subsidy, but will it invest the hundreds of millions to billions of dollars that are necessary to actually build up this content library? And if they can, then it's serious competition. If not, that's going to be a really difficult value proposition for consumers. Do you go for the headset that's slimmer and lighter? Or do you, do you go for the headset that has more games? Yeah, which uh, one of those games was was canceled? Uh, I can't remember which one. Uh, it was Splinter Cell, not Assassin's Creed. Yeah, Splinter Cell. That's right. Yeah. And uh, I'm seeing people uh, was a bicycle uh, bringing up the question of of whether Pico can actually do this on this timeline. So, yeah, I appreciate you focusing in on on this these standalones going head to head potentially with a very different feature set. And I think it's really interesting uh, if you put it in context of what Carmack has said. So John Carmack, uh, the original sort of technical guide over there at Oculus, he's made comments on how he thought the Quest 3, the headset to follow Quest 2 at the low end, should just do what Quest 2 did a little bit better, right? Be a little bit maybe more... Uh, inexpensive, be a little bit faster, a little bit lighter, you know, do everything the previous headset did a little bit better. And instead, we've still got the Quest 2 on the market, and it's more expensive. While Meta has been focusing all of its energy on this, this Quest Pro launch, which everything we have to expect about the Quest Pro is a super premium headset with features that push uh, the, the the developer platform that Meta is pushing forward. But what we've got there in between there is a gap where you can get a lot of the great features that you get out of Quest with potentially slightly better ergonomics, exactly what Carmack was kind of 
pushing for in a next generation quest. Now we expect Meta to get there eventually with its next generation quest. Like they will push those things, but did they fumble a little bit in focusing on the wrong product at the wrong time? Or are they actually putting their focus in the right place? Is going to be, it is going to be the story of kind of the next six months and and how much of these competitors come out swinging with with great software platforms. Any comments yeah, out there that we should respond to? Uh, so I kind of have to lift up the headset to read the comments because we don't have the comments in VR because we're in workrooms today. Uh, just some people discussing which Ubisoft game was cancelled. Yeah, it was Splinter Cell cancelled, not Assassin's Creed. But yeah, we saw that meta leaked memo a few months ago that said that they are laser focused on the launch of Cambria Quest Pro. And that opens up the question, are they so tunnel vision focused on Quest Pro that they are forgetting about the, the low end Quest market, the Quest 2? You know, a lot of people say Quest 2 is still on the market, but it's only been out for not even two years now. In October, it will be two years. So I think there is a certain advantage to Pico's strategy of releasing very frequently. And it means that they can kind of get out with a slimmer pancake headset market for for the mass market sooner. But the problem with that is that a lot of people are going to be kind of put off in that if I buy this Pico 4, is there going to be a Pico 5 12 months later that obsoletes this and then I have to continuously buy a new headset? Or if I if we do get to the point where Quest 2 is a three-year cycle, it goes from Quest 3 being launched next year, then you know that when you buy a Quest 3, you do get that three years out of it. Although obviously with Quest 1, because they picked such an old processor, that didn't happen there. But if they do have a Quest 3 launching with a brand new processor, that's going to be different. Because from what we know, it's extremely unlikely that Pico 4 will be using a new processor. Maybe it will be a refined version of the XR2 with more RAM, which is what's supposed to launch in Cambria. Basically just an XR2 that can support double the RAM. but if they if Quest 3 comes out in 12 months with the same pancake lens design, so it's slimmer and lighter, but a completely new processor that goes that leaps forward three years in the uh, node process, just like we see in smartphones, that's going to be a, a big difference because then a Pico 4 will just be a slimmer and lighter Quest 2, whereas a Quest 3 would be an entirely different processor that can support entirely new kinds of games that weren't possible on standalone before. Yeah, there were some interesting comments, and I uh, I have to bring up Bicycle's joke here. Uh, he said, uh, Splinter Cell was Tom Clancelled. Oh, it's so painful. If I'm only sorry. Kyle was here, that, that, that Kyle probably would have cracked <laughs> It made joke. me laugh. I'm sorry. Well done. Well done, Bicycle. Uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a bad joke, and he and got some booze in the comments, but it, it did make me laugh, so I, I thought I'd call it out. Yeah, I don't know, Heaney. Um we've talked a lot about what it would take for us to do things like add studio support on non-meta headsets and we've needed global launches of consumer grade hardware to sort of justify the idea that it makes sense to sort of extend our platform to to non quest devices and that's going to be the same case for a lot of developers right there you talked about uh all the non-exclusives and I can go down the list of of things that are getting added to these other platforms. Walkabout, Mini Golf, Demio, uh, Super Hot is, of course, I think everywhere. 
Um, and there's these games that are just on our top 25 lists of the best games you can play in standalone. And they're hitting other things. But there's also other things to think about, too, like really high-end graphics products where you know Meta has spent a lot of time working to optimize its system. And I don't know necessarily that really, you know, games that push these the existing Quest platform, I don't know how quickly they're going to make the jumps necessarily to, to these other platforms. And that is kind of some of the things that we're witnessing is developers using experimental APIs within Quest system because they're a lot of fun and, and provide previews of what's next. So things like AR pass-through and letting your puzzle game play out on a table in front of you, that's going to be work that people are going to have to repeat in, in some instances to, to bring it to other platforms, right? Yeah, but I don't think it's necessary for the core value proposition. You know, if, you, if you're playing one of those puzzle games, if it runs on Pico in just VR mode, people aren't really going to care because experimental really is the key word here. That AR pass-through, for example, on Quest 2 with its low-resolution black and white cameras is a gimmick. It's a development kit for future headsets like Quest Pro that have the high-resolution color cameras. And who knows, maybe Pico 4 will have color cameras. And if they do that, then that's an even bigger leapfrog from Quest 2 where developers are going to want to actually start building on that platform. So I don't think Meta has any kind of content mode here. For now, they have hand tracking, which Pico 3 doesn't have, but I fully expect that Pico 4 would have hand tracking. That's not an unsolvable problem for a company with ByteDance's resources, especially if they're partnering with Qualcomm, as we know they are. They've announced that, that partnership with Qualcomm. Yeah, the hand tracking, though, is even a a 5% less quality jump from what we're seeing out of like hand tracking 2.0 to hand tracking 1.0. It's it's significant to feel that difference in VR. So if they can't get there, if they can't match the years of improvement that that Meta is pouring into improving that, even on the the least expensive hardware they make, uh, it's going to be very noticeable in VR. Like you, if you are barely going to want to play games in a Quest with hand tracking, I went into Mist uh, just recently and like. It's really, really neat to check out Mist with hand tracking, but uh, I don't know if I'd want to play a whole game in there just because it's it's that bad of quality hand tracking. You know, three missed gestures in a row, and I'm switching back to controllers. I'm I'm, I'm going that quick, and so it's it's a very high bar to entry there. I think it was interesting this comment from Falaren asking us what do we think about the. Kuo report saying that Apple only expects to sell 1.5 million of its headsets. Does that mean we overestimated its relevance? And should we believe that analyst on that estimate? What do you think of that, Heaney? So I don't, I don't think it means we overestimated the relevance because that's pretty much what the first generation iPhone shift. If, a, if the Apple headset comes out with a completely new software model that makes Quests look like an antiquated kind of lazy port of the smartphone model and if it has the hardware to back that up and it's a great product but it's priced at $2,500 it's still going to change the industry and it's going to set the stage for future future Apple headsets that are significantly cheaper and more affordable but I completely that makes complete sense to me all the reports that we've heard so far say that this thing is going to be between two and three thousand dollars so it's not going to ship the kind of volume the Quest 2 is but th that's not what 
matters for a first-generation Apple product. A first-generation Apple product rarely ever ships large volume. It's usually about just proving out Apple's approach to a new product category. Well, and I'll take it a step further there and just uh, refer to the user interface, right? The user interface of the Apple headset is the biggest unknown right now. We've heard things like a thimble. We would expect hand tracking. You know, we don't, we don't know. It's all, all possibilities are on the table. And I would only argue that I guess if they get input wrong, if they don't, if they don't nail that part of it, that's what'll determine whether we've overestimated or under, underestimated the relevance of that product. Uh, we've got now half a decade. That's why I put things on that uh, scale of going back to 2014 to 2016 time scale, right? We went through a ton of that evolution already in the VR space. We went from uh, laser pointer controllers that were terrible, uh, along with tapping on the side of the headset, to game pads that weren't tracked, to splitting the game pads apart. We had touch pads, and you know everyone kept asking for for analog sticks, even though analog sticks make plenty of people sick. There's there's still room to move things forward. Valve uh, did the index controllers, which have hand tracking in them and still try to have the analog sticks on there. Uh, we know that the PSVR 2 controllers have the same, you know, have this familiar button layout that we've kind of standardized on. How does Apple step into that world with a new VR product is going to be the ultimate question. Yeah, and the report suggests that Apple is going to take a completely new input approach where they're not going to put a gamepad slice into half like the rest of the industry. Because I, I think it's very important that we always clarify when we say everyone. You said everyone asked for thumbsticks. The game developers and the current VR user market, which is somewhere between you know one and 10 million at the time of, of Quest, actually at the time we're talking about there, it's only a couple of million asked for that. But I suspect that when VR is being used by 50, 100, 500 million people, they are not going to prefer a split-in-half gamepad controller as their primary method of input. And they're not going to like the clunkiness and the difficulty of thumbsticks. They're going to want something that's a lot more natural of an interface. And that's the market that Apple is going to have its eye on, I think, most likely. Uh, from the reports that we've heard, Apple simply will not put hardcore gaming in the way that it is currently defined today in the VR market as a focus for its product. And we'll probably see games that take place within your physical room as the stage. Mixed reality games and the kind of games that on Quest today, you don't move with your thumbstick at all. You're just in one space. That's the kind of games we're likely to see the Apple headset focus on. And if you have great mixed reality where you can bring in your furniture, even not as its literal representation as it looks, but as a geometry. So, you know, your sofa becomes the sandbag behind which you crouch uh, and duck from enemies and you shoot over it. That's the kind of gameplay I think we're likely to see from an Apple headset rather than the current thumbstick model. Yeah, and you, you were, thank you for sort of uh, correcting me on sort of the market proposition, right? Like I'm seeing it in our comments. People say that anything without a thumb, without an analog stick is, is dead on arrival to me. And that makes perfect sense for the existing audience of VR users, but that doesn't necessarily represent the next hundred million uh, and what kind of interfaces they want. And all those people are familiar with touchscreens too, right? How do we see touchscreens operate in VR when you don't actually touch objects? We That was one of the things that we will probably get into from Seagraph where we saw, 
uh, some futuristic haptic interfaces. And one of them showed this little object that actually popped out when you're about to touch a virtual button and then pressed against your finger and then it retracted back onto the top of your finger and it only it only popped out and gave you that physical sensation when you're actually about to press into a button and i i remember thinking at the time that looks that looks like a thimble which is basically the only word of description anybody has shared about some of the input uh that's been talked about for an apple device and uh you know, we've t heard also, Heaney, about the idea that your wrist can vibrate for you or, or give you a haptic sensation at the same moment that you're touching something and your brain connects what's happening at your fingertip to what's happening at your wrist and you actually get a really immersive sense of haptics from that. It's, it's going to be interesting to see where we arrive uh, on that front. How many robust interfaces can we get out of just open air hand tracking with slight haptic feedback is I can't wait to see what that's like. Yeah. I wonder if the situation with thumbsticks will be somewhat like the situation with a dedicated mouse today. So, so most people that are actually using a PC, a laptop are actually just using the touchpad to, to use as a mouse. But if you're, you know, a hardcore technical user, if you're someone who's doing a lot of work, you're going to want a physical Mice. It also another analogy I think could be useful to think about is that before the first iPhone released, a sentiment that was very common about the idea of future smartphones was anything that doesn't have a physical keyboard, I will not buy because people didn't think that there was a way to have a keyboard on a touchscreen that could possibly match. And even for years after, there was a, a the biggest reason that people would buy a BlackBerry is because they say I don't want to use a touchscreen for typing. And today, you know, everyone uses a touchscreen on their phone. But on PC, you still have dedicated mice. So there will be these, these sub-markets of people who have these more complicated, more kind of uh, elaborate input devices. But it does seem likely that, as you say, the, the 100 million users are going to want something that's much more natural and frees up their hands completely. That's a really interesting way of, of putting it, Heaney. But the, the problem I have, or the thing that I can't wrap my head around there, is... Uh, I, I bought the iPad when it first came out. I tried to use it with a stylus. It overheated uh, immediately. I realized the stylus I was using was absolute, absolutely terrible. It would only recognize half of my, my inputs. It wasn't meant to be used in that, in that way, yet I kept trying to use it in, in ways that it wasn't meant for. Uh, and over time, they eventually added in Apple Pencil support. They built their own keyboards to attach to the iPad. They've even got fairly good uh, gamepad support now on iPad, where, yeah, I can Bluetooth connect a variety of gamepads. I think they've even got Joy-Con support in the most recent version of iOS, so you can connect these traditional controllers to these systems. And Heaney, I, I don't want them to repeat that 10-year evolution of adding legacy inputs to their their VR headset, right? Like, I, I think that's... That's going to be too long a process where, you know, if I'm putting a headset on and, and disconnecting from the physical world for a little bit, we know that's going to be a focus. We know the pass through is going to be a very big focus of what Apple's doing. But like if I'm putting on a headset for a long period of time, I'm going to want my devices around me that I'm already using accessible to me. And I don't, I just don't want to see it be three or four years before I can like pick up a gamepad 
and play a 2D game streaming over the internet using that headset. It, it just doesn't make sense to me that it would take that long. Well, I think if you look on Quest today, you know, you have your track keyboard. I don't see it would be extremely surprising to me if Apple were to come out and not support your track keyboard. So I don't think they want to take away those legacy input devices. I just think that for native mixed reality and virtual reality content, you're not going to want to have, a, you know, pick up a keyboard and walk around the room with it. But if you're doing serious work, of course, you're going to want your mouse. You're going to want your keyboard. That's that's never going to. Well, never is a bad word to say, but that's unlikely to change in any meaningful way in the foreseeable future. Yeah, I don't know about Immersed. I've seen, I got a question in there asking us if we might use Immersed for our live streaming. I think we'll probably go back to uh, our studio as soon as we get that through the approval process over there at Meta. And uh, yeah, I can't wait to see sort of the next generation features we might be able to get in there. Uh, this is a This is a wonderful place too. I love having access to my PC in vr that's going to be an api we still expect them to release beyond workrooms right heaney yeah but obviously the problem is if i'm streaming from my pc i can't also access my pc so you know we would have to somehow have a, a dedicated pc used for streaming which is you know that's impractical at this point yeah that makes sense any questions there that we should respond to let me see here since you don't have um I'd love to see one of those companies, you know, a proper startup take on the challenge of building an app that works for, that's designed for our use case. You know, straight, this is not, this is designed for having meetings where this is a ghetto setup where the camera that you're seeing as the audience is someone joining as a video call. It's my PC joining this as if it's a video call. And all of these software like big screen and immersed and spatial and workrooms are just so excellent. And if they just added a few features, they could completely replace what we use for our studio. And I would honestly love that because then, you know, we wouldn't have to develop it for ourselves. But, you know, right now I'm missing the ability to have your comments in front of me. I'm missing my notes. I'm missing the ability to easily just cast images up to the screen. All of that is something I'd love to see a proper software company take on. Yeah, it's really cool. I mean, I, I don't know. It's so much of that is invisible to our audience, right? But I've used our studio. It's it's really effective to be able to jump in at a moment's notice with almost no setup beyond what Meta imposes itself. There is no setup beyond what Meta imposes itself. You set up your Meta avatar, you join our build, and then you only have access amongst like a couple of the dozen people who have been invited one at a time into our studio. It's a really effective platform for getting in here and getting a couple questions answered in VR, but we are really close with a lot of other platforms to it being one-to-one uh, -one as easy to get someone into there. And of course, the one, one major drawback of our platform is you do have to have a VR headset right now. One of the things I want to do eventually, Heaney, is I'm going to figure out a way for us to have callers over Discord. Uh, that's the the thing I want that would be really cool is we could bring in radio callers like a live show and and have people bring in audio uh, live for us. We got to figure that, out a way to do that. That would be so great to have people dial in. And, you know, obviously the problem is this isn't like Zoom. Workrooms isn't like Zoom where you can just bring in guests that easily. You have to go through this ridiculously complicated setup process on the web app, which Carmack actually called out, I think, in his, his recent talk or was it the lex interview where he said you know his biggest problem with workrooms is that huge huge friction on the actual web app setup to join a, a workroom whereas it really should just work like zoom you click a link you add you know you put in the code and you're in i'm seeing uh people talk about pico's privacy nightmare uh basically quote uh writer saying it's worse than meta but that's just my humble opinion 
you know, I think that's going to be a fairly common uh, opinion out there. Uh, and it's it's actually, I, I've thought about it for a long time. We've talked about this, Heaney, where it almost legitimizes Meta's work in the space a little bit more uh, by having this competition that is coming from a an organization, you know, a, com- a country that's regulated entirely differently than Western nations. And Meta, of course, has that history of not officially, you know, not running a Facebook services inside of China. So there's like a, an ethical standing there that Meta can argue or or people coming to Meta can, can say this is a Western company and it's bound by Western laws. So therefore, that's going to have an impact on my purchasing decision. So, uh, you know, I think that's going to be recurring and we're not going to, we're going to keep putting those questions to Pico over time and make sure we can kind of have breakdowns of the privacy policies. And even to one further step later, Heaney, we're going to need to get more hard. I hope there's more hardware experts breaking down the internals of these devices and verifying the way they function because uh, go back a couple of years and we put Meta and Facebook to, you know, we tested them and really made sure that they were on record explaining how the camera functionality on these devices work. They say that the camera on Quest devices don't turn on until they're, you know, when power is supplied to the cameras, the light turns on on the headset. And that, to me, as a user of these devices, is a nice uh, safety feature. Like, I like knowing that hardware-wise, it's built that way. But as we move forward in future generations, we're going to need to have people go and verify uh, that that's the case on multiple devices, I think. I always find it peculiar how people are so focused on the camera, but no one seems to care about the microphone. To me, the microphone is by far a bigger privacy concern as a sensor than micro- than the camera. And we all walk around with these the supercomputers in our pockets that have multiple far field and near field microphones built into them, running software from Google, a massive advertising company, or Apple. And nobody seemed to care then and nobody seemed to care now and it's it, i guess it's because we're such visual creatures everyone you know it's much easier to understand the privacy risks of a camera but what would you really rather obviously both of these are terrible but which would you rather have a company leak some black and white camera imagery from your room or a company leak a private conversation you had in your room they're both terrible yeah. scenarios but one is to me clearly worse than the other depends depends what i said and depends what i was doing um yeah. but <laughs> of course no, it's, it's, yeah you've always I, I, brought up you've always brought up the microphones as being this this potentially heinous uh privacy violation left and right and if those are actively being recorded uh in any stretch of the uh time it's it's absolutely terrifying what can be sort of uh, collated about who you are just from short snippets of what you're talking about doing. Um, yeah. And it's the fact you know, that there's no light for it. You know, you, you, there's so many uh, uh, webcams on laptops do the same thing we're talking about here, where power is provided to the webcam and it was also provided to a little LED. No device I know of does that with the microphone at all. Yes, on a software level, you now get it in iOS and Android, where if you have the phone on, you can see that the microphone is being used by a certain app. But if the, if the operating system provider itself wanted to, they could easily override that on a hardware level. Or if there was some sort of uh, virus that could go all the way down to the firmware level, you'd be screwed. So what I want to see, if we really want to go that much into privacy, is a similar little light for the microphone. 
Mm, that's a great point. Yeah, I, I, I would. I, I absolutely would. Uh, if anyone out there designing hardware yeah, can sort of attach that light to the microphone, I think that is, yeah, it's, it would be nice to have it go a step further. The other thing is, you know, you can cover uh, you can cover a camera fairly easily. I leave my Quest in its case. It can't see anything I'm doing when I'm not using it. But I can't. you can't really cover the microphone. Even if you do, it'll still pick up some sound. Sound will still travel through most materials you're going to cover it with. And even if you have your Quest in a case, there's still a way they could hear your conversations in your room. And obviously, I'm sure people have read the recent reports of Bike Dance, the parent company of Pico, being caught as the is the application on the app store that collects the most data by far, far more than any of Meta's apps or of Google's apps, and of the concerning reports that there is data being sent for, between ByteDance's Western operation and its Chinese operation, and some of the other concerning reports about the connection between ByteDance's uh, Chinese division and the Chinese government. So as well as the serious privacy concerns there are with Meta, this is something we're going to have to very carefully look at with Pico as they enter the U.S. market. The, the only thing I'll add here, I suppose, is on the flip side of this, there are going to be immense advantages over the length of time to allowing these devices to peer into your room and even listen to you, just like an Alexa uh, does for keywords. So uh, I'm curious how the microphone activation feature would work with uh, with phrases, right? With with wake phrases, it's is the microphone light. If we if designers out there actually build their hardware to activate the light. Does that not include the wake words? Uh, I assume it would only. Well, and do we get a complete list of the wake words or the wake activation scenarios out of these companies? Um, but the thing I wanted point. to it add. Would, it would show so, that the light would be on the entire time because the wake word is constantly sampling the microphone. It's basically a very low par chip or you know chip component on the SOC that is constantly sampling and is designed to only it only does one function it's a single function chip which is to hear a pre-programmed wake word so there would have to be a clever engineering to be able to find out when is any other part of the chip accessing the microphone not just that low power chip looking for the wake word um but yeah I wanted to add in there like when you've got a situation we've already got this situation with Google devices that was one of the uh features they released this summer for or they talked about this summer for the google android platform was the ability to sort of not even use a wake word and identify that you're looking in the direction of your device as a way of activating it and we've talked about this in the past where if you've got your future vr headset sitting on a stand and facing your play area you could answer calls uh without the wake word you could have there's a lot of beneficial features where uh, even like text recognition, you could you could show a piece of paper to the headset theoretically and capture the text, um, things like that that could become very useful over time if the headset can watch you. I just I wonder I wonder if we'll get the privacy features right first and get people really comfortable with these devices or or whether uh, there's going to be violations or, or very scary things along the way that kind of uh, freak people out and make them want to like not buy these devices. I don't know. That's always been the discussion. I, I've talked about this before, but the earliest days of Oculus, they called those cameras sensors. They they very specifically used the word sensors and they had various tricks in like the software to make it not appear to as a camera to the PC system when you plugged it in over USB. But fundamentally if you removed those 
things, you could still find a fundamental black and white camera underneath it all. And over time, Meta has had to embrace using the words camera to describe what those things are. And uh, I'm thinking even back further, Heaney, I've reported on technologies that uh, felt uncomfortable with the term tracking, and they called it locating, right? You're not tracking the location of an object, you're locating an object. And they found that like just using the different word locate instead of track, it eased people and made them okay, more okay with bundling, you know, with buying the tech. But again, every tech that we use for good can be used uh, in other ways, right? So it's something we always have to worry about and think about. Yeah, as for the consumer appeal problem, I, I just think, as I was saying before, if people are comfortable walking around with a supercomputer in their pocket that has a really high resolution camera on one side and the other side, so no matter which way you're facing, it can always see you, and these microphones, and if people are buying in the tens of millions, maybe even hundreds of millions now, I haven't looked recently, Amazon Echo and Google Home devices that are have an always-on microphone, and as you mentioned, now they have cameras in them so they can watch you from across the room if people are comfortable with that i don't see any reason that the same that same consumer base would then be uncomfortable with cameras that are mounted to their head but it, it will, there are serious privacy concerns that are entirely real and valid but whether they will have an impact on people actually buying technology is a completely separate question that i don't think is going to pan out onakazi making the comment finally a use for a tinfoil hat just put it on your headset when it's not in use i enjoy that yeah we've got the bags the faraday cages that you can go and get uh for your devices i don't yeah it's hard for me to imagine a lot of people buying that but you know maybe that's a thing right i i know that people have made covers for phone cameras right and there's been a long sort of sub-industry of products to protect your devices yeah and on any other comments you want to talk about or subjects we should cover before we start wrapping up the show. I'm just going to point out that one of the things about Meta's portal devices, the Facebook portal, was that they all have a little hardware shutter at the top where you just physically flick the switch and it brings a little bit of plastic that covers the uh, covers the webcam and they claim also blocks out the microphone, but I don't think that's been independently verified. So that's an interesting solution. Maybe VR headsets in the future will have that. But of course, the problem is that headsets are going to have so many of these sensors that it would be a kind of clunky design to have little flicking switches for the whole thing. But yeah, if you're really worried about it, just if the camera aspect, in my opinion, just put it in a case, keep it in the, the box the entire time you're not using it. I'm, I'm seeing a couple of interesting questions here at the end. Falaren saying, what's your dream VR design? I just reported on uh, Walkabout Mini Golf adding jules verne stories so if you go to uploadvr.com we got a story up on that but two weeks ago they added the labyrinth course inspired by the 1980s film they've got a mist course inspired by the 1993 mist game coming to walk about mini golf and now they've just announced they're going to do Twenty Thousand leagues under the sea journey to the center of the earth and uh what was the third one a third jules verne story uh, uh, the the balloon one uh, around the world in 80 days. Those three stories are going to become walkabout mini golf courses, and I'm really blown away by the ingenuity and VR design that the, that company is coming up with. And I think they've got a long road ahead of making basically virtual reality theme parks that you go and just mini golf through and have minor interactions with the sound the surrounding environment but mostly you're just going into vr and 
playing through these theme park versions that were too expensive to make in the physical world, but actually in VR you can apply physics and other things to do them in a way that they could never exist in the physical world. So it's like, it's it's just an incredible realization. So my dream VR design is seeing uh, what kind of courses they come out with in the next three or four years of a walkabout mini golf. And they even have a phone version of that game coming out. Heaney, what's your dream VR design? Well, I, I was hoping the commenter would clarify if they're talking about an uh, app or a headset. Um, if we're talking about software, it's an, I don't think I have an answer off the top of my he- head, but if it comes to hardware, I'd love to see, as I've said before, I'd love to see someone go for a full-on helmet design. I'd love to see a standalone headset that puts in the power of a high-end gaming laptop by having a a biker helmet style design where the battery is kind of contained all throughout the helmet and then they have a very wide field of view because they're not limited by having any space constraints. So I'd love to see a a standalone headset that goes all in with a helmet design. It's an interesting idea. There was, of course, the... um the helmets that they had for the the void and they basically the only reason they had the helmet design was they took the padding so that when you're walking around without uh the ability to see your physical surroundings you bump your head against one of the walls you've got a padded experience inside your headset but yeah i definitely want the the mandalorian version of of vr that would be a cool idea even though we know it's like at the other extreme i remember valve we we heard the code name out of one of Valve's headsets was they called it a Vader, uh, didn't they? Uh, at one point, when they threw everything they had into one of their headsets, and I always wondered if that thing looked like looked like a helmet. Um, yes, come back to us next week for VR Download Tuesdays, 10 a.m. Uh, hopefully, Heaney has a updated version of our studio through Meta by then. If not, maybe we'll come back into workrooms and do this again try to smooth out this experience in workrooms a little bit. We have the games cast as too. lots of big VR games coming out this week. And in the coming weeks, red matter two is on its way, which is going to be a graphical powerhouse on quest systems. And then of course, we've got the big push coming at the end of this year. Uh, yeah. Heaney and I are still digesting what we saw at Seagraph. That includes codec avatars, which you know, Heaney and I have been talking about how big the potential is for codec avatars. They're absolutely incredible. What can, what's possible long term with that technology? So, come back to uploadvr.com to see our breakdown of that pipeline and where it stands right now. In the coming weeks, I should be able to get a haptics expert into our studio that I met at Seagraph uh, as we talk through some of their crazy ideas for the future of haptics. They had different chemicals that you could put uh, in various places to simulate cold, tingling, uh, heat, things like that. Uh, Lidocaine was one of the things they had tested uh, for various uh, feelings in VR. Um, And then we also uh, got to see Starburst. We got to see HDR VR in VR for the first time. And we spoke to Douglas Landman at length, uh, the head of display systems over there. Uh, The thing, the one hint I'll give here for the future on codec avatars. Uh, I went over there and spoke to Yasser Sheik, I think is his name. He's the head of um, 
head of basically the avatar's effort over in Pittsburgh, over at Meta. And he did his big uh, speech where he was talking about codec avatars. And he put it on the whole span of the history of telecommunications from like the invention of the concept of a post office where you could send a message long distance written out to someone who's far away using reliable couriers to get your message over distance. And then you've got video chat all the way up into video chat sort of getting conceived in the mid-1950s. And then today you've got codec avatars, which could turn telepresence into a, a real concept where you you drive your avatar in virtual reality and send it over the internet and use compression and reliable uh, artifact uh, reducing systems to to really have telepresence in a way that we've never had before. And I went over and talked to him. I, I, I basically asked him one question after that talk and I asked him, what was it like to come face to face with your own codec avatar in virtual reality? And he described seeing an avatar standing before him, that was him, and observing it as another person and then stepping into the same space as that full body avatar and looking down and seeing this avatar underneath him and then recognizing it at that moment as himself, as you know, looking down and actually seeing his full body. And it's, a, it's an amazing moment to think about, to think that they've crossed that inside of labs. And what Heaney and I have to dissect over the next little bit is trying to really explain the roadblocks to getting us that inside these headsets over the next few years. So we will have that breakdown uh, next week. And yeah, make sure to come back to uploadvr.com as we digest all those things in article form. And thank you so much to our comments. And uh, let us, yeah, please like, subscribe, and share this link out to others. And we'll, uh, of course, put this on our VR download podcast platforms. And uh, thank you so much. And we'll see you in the future. Thanks so much. We'll see you next week.